Hello and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. My goal is really to create a world where racial equity exists for everyone. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. I'm so excited about our conversation this morning, and I can't wait to jump into it. But as always, I want to start us out with just asking us to take a moment to ground ourselves and center ourselves. So if you would, I want to just invite you to plant your feet solidly on the floor and take a moment to find your breath and tune into that which gives you life. Take a moment to find your divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, which is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. So breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. And as you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity and carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of changing the status quo. Breathe in and out. Acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take a deep breath in and sigh it out. Again, I want to just welcome you all to the show today. And I want today, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, life in and of itself can be very challenging and difficult and overwhelming and just trying to get through the day-to-day experiences of life can be a lot. And then when you add a topic like dismantling racism and the challenges that come with that, it can really just be overwhelming. But my guest today is really as an expert at talking about how to be successful with life, how to maximize our energy and our physical and mental capacities in order to be successful. And so she has done just that in her own life. But she's also been very instrumental in dismantling racism. And what I always say each and every week is that we really have to start where we are, doing what we can, using what we have to dismantle racism. And she's been phenomenal at doing that. And she's done it for years, long before the conversation that we've been having since 2020 is in her DNA to dismantle racism. So I want to tell you a little bit about my guest today, Deborah Poneman. Well, the first and foremost, I want to tell you, she wrote the foreword to my new book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. I am honored that she would take the time to do that. But Deborah is an award-winning speaker, best-selling author. She's a sought-after seminar leader. She's been on talk shows. She it really has been on so many guest Uh, TV appearances. I can't even list all of them. Uh, She's worked with corporate executives. She has a wonderful, wonderful program called Yes to Success Seminars. 
Incorporated. She's been doing that, I believe, for over 40 years. I know, I know, I know she looks really, really, really like, like she could possibly have not been out in the work world for that long. Um, but Deborah is really about helping us become the best selves that we can possibly be. And so I'm delighted that she um, took the time to be with me this morning, particularly because I know it's very early where she is. But one of the things that I want to say about Deborah is that her body of knowledge is not really about having the big house or the Tesla or the fame and the fortune. She has that. But she says true success is about living with integrity, honesty, and commitment. And I know this to be a fact because of the conversations that I've had with Deborah. She is really adamant about making a contribution, a significant contribution to the world. And she says everyone has the capacity to do that. I think that's why we get along so great is because we're, we're like-minded people. And most importantly, she will offer today some of her insights around dismantling racism that are raised from her unique vantage point of mothering Black and Brown and biracial children. And I believe that she'll talk about that and compare it to what it's like also raising white children. And so she's been able to see firsthand the differences about the way her children are treated, not just when she mothered them as young folks, but even today, how things are different for them. So I want to welcome, welcome, welcome you uh, to my radio show today, Deborah. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you for inviting me. I got very excited when you said I wrote the forward to your book. I've written forwards to numerous books. That book is, it just is so powerful. It is so timely. It is so well-written. It has such a unique angle on dismantling racism that it was just the greatest honor to write the forward to that. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. So, Deborah, I always ask my guest, how you ground yourself and whether you have a sacred practice. Now, I already know the answer to this because I'm fortunate enough to have taken your Yes to Success course. And it's so apparent in that course, the way you ground yourself. But can you talk a little bit about what, is, what are some of your practices to help you ground yourself and who you are? And that gives you the momentum to be successful and to continue this work with dismantling racism. Well, I think that at this time in on the planet, it is ultimately important to have something that is grounding. There is a, uh, a woman saint in India. Her name is um, Amaji. She's known as the hugging saint. And I love to quote from her where she says, um, it is so important now to have um, a technique. How does she say it? While the world is shaking, you need a way for you to remain unshakable. Yes, beautiful. World is shaking. And one of the, it's funny when you were reading my bio, you said that I've been teaching my Yes to Success seminar for 40 years. I've actually been a meditation teacher for 50 years. And uh, interestingly, next month will be my 50-year anniversary. Uh, I actually became a teacher of Transcendental Meditation in 1972. And um, 
I now teach through the Art of Living Foundation, but it's a technique that comes from the same tradition that's been scientifically proven to ground you. It's been scientifically proven to relieve stress and anxiety. It's been scientifically proven to give you inner peace. So it's not just, oh, yeah, I feel peaceful after words. The uh, science is there to show that, yes, in fact, your physiology is is uh, reflecting that. Mm. So I do that meditation for 20 minutes twice a day. I do a, a lot of breath practices also that I learned through the art of living, but I'm going to start right out and show your listeners a breath practice that can ground you literally in a minute. Mm. And it will blow your mind how effective it is, but it's called straw breath. And when you are in a stressful situation, I teach this to my kids, when you're in a stressful situation, do straw breath and it'll immediately center you, ground you and calm you. And all it is, is breathing in through your nose and then out through your lips as if you were blowing through a straw, you know, when you were a little kid and you would try to make bubbles in your chocolate milk by blowing through your straw, you do it like that, like... You could do it with me, just in through your nose, deep breath out through your pursed lips like you were blowing through a straw. One more time. It's like magic. You just really can, can, you can center yourself on a dime. And um, even, I tend to be kind of an impatient person, even when I'm in the grocery store, or if I'm in the bank and I'm in the line and I'm, and I'm, and I have to get somewhere and I'm feeling tense. I just do a few straw breaths and all of a sudden I'm in the present moment. And it's like, what's so important? Just be I have there. To tell you, I, I felt it just, just now. And I thought, oh, wait, I have to open my eyes and continue to <laughs> interview Deborah because you know it's it's very centering but but I know that you've had to use that a lot with some of the incidents that you've told me about um, as it relates to your children but before we get into that because I definitely want to spend time with that what do you believe true success is you know I talked about before around honesty integrity and commitment but why do you believe that we all can achieve it, true success? Well, success is, is the reason why everybody can achieve it. It's basically living your passion and you living the reason why you were put here on earth. We are each, each unique. We each have something that we can contribute. We all have different skills. We all have different things that we excel in. One person might be an artist. One might be a dancer. One might be have the gift of speech. One might love to work with bodies. One might be a great basketball player. One might be a great cook. And you were given those gifts. You're a minister. I could talk about God, the God of your understanding. Okay. It could be Jesus. It could be Christian. The God of your understanding might be Allah, but whoever that energy is gave you those gifts because you're supposed to be using them. And, you know, God has benevolent force in the universe. And I believe that our passions are that gift from the creator. I believe that when the creator needs something done in creation, he, she can't just come down and 
write a book on dismantling racism or start a radio show or give seminars on success or or become a massage therapist. So he she looks down to see who is a worthy channel to give that idea to Mm -hmm. someone who he she feels will take that idea and turn it into reality because it's what's needed on the planet. And when we act on our ideas, we get support from the universe because we're doing God's work. Mm -hmm. God has no hands but ours. Right. And and that's what I love about your seminars, because people from all walks of life are in your seminars. And I must say, not only all walks of life, they're, they're international. So even though it may be late over on my side already, because you're on the, on the West Coast, we're talking Australia, Africa, all these different places. And people are there because what you're talking about in terms of being successful, it feeds the soul because I believe that God calls each of us as well. And so the work that you do, whatever it is that we are aiming for, actually you bring out the best in people because sometimes people are struggling to try to figure out what that thing is. And your course is just masterful with giving people day-to-day practices of being successful. And once you're successful in one area, it actually opens the door to be successful in in other areas. Deborah, we have to take a really, really quick break. And when we come back, let's get into the discussion around racism, because it is a daily part of your life. You didn't just wake up in 2020 and say, we need to do something about this. It has been a part of the the DNA, as I said, of your life. And so when we come back, I want you to share with our audience, you know, really how you began looking into, how you began understanding that racism existed. And when did you start raising black and brown and biracial children. So we will be right back. We're going to take a break. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. 
That's the edge of every day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with my guest today, Deborah Poneman, and we were talking before the break about Deborah's Yes to Success program and the ways in which she helps individuals to be uh, their best selves. And Deborah, I said when we came back, we were going to get into our conversation around dismantling racism. But before we do that, I think there was one other thing that you wanted to say as it related to success. Yes, I just wanted to say that true success, as I mentioned before the break, is following that inner voice and fulfilling your passion by doing God's work on earth, because that idea is a gift from the God of your understanding. But why do I believe that we all have the ability to achieve success is because the God of your understanding is not a trickster. The God of your understanding would not implant a dream in your heart and then say, but ha ha ha. I'm not going to give you the ability to achieve it. No, but that doesn't mean that there won't be obstacles on the way to your dream or that you won't have to course correct. My son loved basketball from practically the time he popped out of me. My son, Daniel, (laughs) and he always wanted to, you know, like every kid, he wanted to be an NBA player. But, you know, when he stopped growing at 5'10 and he wasn't the best kid on the team, he had to course correct. But he loved basketball. So he started a nonprofit um, where he put on basketball showcases. Now he's a basketball agent. So you love what you love for a reason. But don't give up because those obstacles are there to make you stronger, to make you more resistant. It's kind of like God is testing you. Are you really committed? And if the truth be known, the reason we're here on earth is not necessarily to achieve our goals, but to learn the lessons on the path. Mm-hmm. And to enjoy the journey. You know, we don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. So pursue your passion and every obstacle you face, just give thanks for it. There's always a gift in it. There's always a lesson. Give thanks. And when you give thanks for the obstacles, it opens instead of, oh, why did that happen? Give thanks for the obstacle. And then it will open you up to the next step, which might be a course correction that will bring you more effortlessly and more gloriously to the fulfillment of what's in your heart. Yeah. You know, Deborah, thank you for sharing that because actually what it, what it reminded me of the, the God of our understanding, as, as you say, will not give us a dream and not put the resources and the people in our path who can also help us along the way. So I don't even know if you remember this, but so Deborah and I have known each other for a couple of years, but we, you know, we weren't the kind that just get on the phone to chat. We knew each other through a business organization. Now that's, that's changed significantly, but here's the thing. There's a mutual acquaintance who's actually a good friend of yours, but she's an acquaintance of mine. 
And truth be told, the way I came about asking you in terms of doing the forward, I asked for divine guidance. I said, who should I, who should I ask to write this forward? And you popped into my spirit. But I went to this mutual acquaintance to ask her, do you think that this would be something Deborah would be interested in? Now, interestingly enough, she just happened to text me. She's someone that I rarely talk to. But when I had the thought that about she texted me and I asked her the question, and then I reached out to you, that is how the divine works. Because when I ask for the opening, who should it be? This person texts me out of the blue. I ask about you. The other funny thing about the story is I had an appointment with her two weeks later that, that we both had to cancel and we've not connected since then. So it was meant for her to text me about the thing that she texted me about. And both of our schedules got really busy and we've just not had an opportunity to, to connect since that time. So I did not know that. Yes, it was, it was, it was really something to, to, to be honest with you, but it shows how God, sacred universe source, whatever people choose to call it, when you commit, when you commit to whatever that thing is that you're called to, the way becomes clearer for you. And to that, and what is so interesting about that is you actually didn't even know much about my background. I didn't. At all. And you know what? When I asked her, I said, do you think that Deborah would write the forward to this book? Her only response was, you should ask her. She has some stories. And I did not know. I, I've heard you talk. But we've not talked specifically about dismantling racism. But I knew from the other things that I had heard you talk about, I knew a bit of your heart and your integrity based on hearing you speak. And so that said a lot to me. And I think this is the thing that, that we have to know about success and dismantling racism, because we do have to reach across the color line and we all have to do this together. And so as a person of color, I actually can tell the people who know a little bit of something about dismantling racism based on it could be a subtle word that you use. It could be an experience. When you talked about what your son does and how you all started that, you had to know you had to know a little something about the differences in terms of experiences for black and brown kids versus white kids. So so let's get to it. Talk to me about some of those experiences when you of raising your children and how that came to be. You know, it wasn't like I decided that I was going to do work to dismantle racism. It's just that I deliberately raised, wanted to raise my biological kids in a diverse community. I didn't, I actually was living in Iowa because as a meditation teacher, I was living in Fairfield, Iowa, which is the home of Maharishi International University. And that's where my kids were born. But um, when they got to be school age, I looked around, I thought, do I really want to raise them in Iowa? Because I grew up in Chicago. <laughs> and I thought, 
Actually, no. So, uh, so when we started looking for places to live in Chicago, I um, didn't choose to live in uh, an you know an all white area. I wanted my kids to have exposure to all kinds of kids, and and um, so we chose Evanston. And Evanston is just about as diverse as you could get in every way, socioeconomically, racially. You know, it's it's just. It's a fabulous, there's a, a, a rapper who, um, one of my kids' friends is a rapper and, and he made a, a song, um, about Evanston. And there's a pizza place where all the kids hang out and it's called GGOs. And the rap song goes, if your dad's a CEO or he works at GGOs, you're in Evanston. You're in Evanston because in all the kids are just friends and nobody thinks, does your dad work at GGOs or is he the CEO of some major? It's just like one big family. Interestingly, until the kids get to high school, then they start moving out into their own groups. Yeah. Based on ethnicity. And, but my son, who is in the basketball world, it was kind of an exception because basketball was his life. And um, so he retained his friends who he had in grammar school, because in grammar school, kids, I mean, you know, I don't see color. If you're an adult, excuse me, you see color. I'm sorry. But you know, we've been, we have just been indoctrinated so much throughout our lives. It's just impossible not to see color, but you know, God bless you for wanting to be that person who doesn't see color. But when the kids are little, they don't, <laughs> they just don't. It's like, you know, Polly and Daniel and Joseph and Taekwon and they don't know. Yeah. But then when they get older, I did see, but again, so and then what happened was that when my son was in high school, um, he, um, some of his friends were having a rough time. And one day he comes home and he says, um, you know, Kiwan is living on the L train. I go, what do you mean Kiwan is living on the L train? He says, yeah, his, you know, his mom's boyfriend threw him out, whatever. And I said, okay, go get him. I'll find him a place to live. And um, that was when he was 15. And he, his place that, because there are no places for kids to go. I'm not going to put him in a home, homeless shelter. It, you know, I, I'm not going to put him in foster care. I'm not, because I know about that system. Thank you very much. And um, anyway, the place that we found for him to live was our house right. <laughs> and um he you know was like a son to me he still is he's now gonna be 32 and in august and he's like a son to me anyway that happened with a few other kids and um so i had a house full of boys yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and i love them to this day they're my heart you know my son my biological son is like hey mom i'm here too <laughs> Right, right. But, you know, so tell me then what have been some of the differences that you've noticed in, in, and we're going to have to take a break in just a minute, but maybe before the break, like, tell us an incident of some differences that you've noticed. Well, it was constant, Carolyn. I mean, really, really constant. It was, I always say, uh, something that my son would get an award for, um, my black sons would be arrested for. I mean, I spend half my life at the police station and it's an exaggeration, but I'm just saying, um, I'll give you an example. One time, um, 
Kiwan's girlfriend called and she was white and she called crying that she was in a fight and some of these girls were beating her up and they hit her, whatever. He goes, my, I need your car. I got to go help Christina. So he drives over and he um, breaks up the fight and somebody saw the fight happening and called the police and they arrested him. Yeah. They and he's like, I'm just here to break a point. I mean, they made Mason. What do you call it? Mace? In his yeah. Yeah. Right in his eyes. I took pictures of it because yeah. he, um, you know, he tried to call me, but they arrested him. I had to pay $375 to get my car out because they impounded my car. But when I went there to bail him out, he's like, mom, don't make a big deal. Don't make a big deal. Don't make it. They don't. He didn't want me to make a big deal because if he did, if I did, then they target him. Right. And make it even harder for him. Mm-hmm. But again, if my son went and broke, broke up the fight, you know, they would just, oh, thank you for doing it. It was constant. I could tell you some more stories after the break. Well, after the break, because there was one we were talking about right before the show started. I really want you to, to share that as well, because these are daily experiences, you know, for me, when I'm engaged in conversations with folks, Uh, particularly when we're talking about someone being shot or stopped by the cops and people will say, well, why didn't they just do what they were told to do? And sometimes people are saying that when they see the people with their hands up and they're shot because they show everything on TV when they show the videos. And I'm thinking, did you see the person walking with his hands up and he was shot in the back? And so what you're telling us about right now These are daily occurrences that don't make the news. So when we return, I want you to share with our audience a recent one that that you told us about. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back with my guest, Deborah Poneman. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
We're back with my guest today, Deborah Poneman. Deborah, I know we have so much to talk about, uh, like we usually do, but I want to really go back. There was another incident that you told me about right before we began today's show, and I would love for you to share that with our audience, because I, I believe the one that you just described prior to the break happened maybe about 10 years or so ago, but this one was a recent one. Tell our audience what happened with one of your other sons. So I was on the phone and um, talking to Taekwon and I don't know, we were talking about this, that no big deal. He was waiting in a car. He was the passenger and he was waiting in the car um, in front of his cousins. They were picking up his cousins and his friend was driving. And um, all of a sudden he goes, ma, the cops are here. I said, what do you mean the cops are here? And, and then I hear him talking and he, and he says to the driver, he says, just move the car, just move the car. So he, he moves the car over and, um, and then he said, they're coming mom. And he, and I said, and we were on, um, what do you call it? FaceTime. FaceTime. Mm-hmm. And he, um, turned, and the cops are literally jumping out of their car with their guns drawn. And I said, honey, keep the, keep the FaceTime on, keep the FaceTime on. And my heart is pounding, you know, I'm thinking George Floyd, I'm thinking Michael Brown, I'm thinking, I mean, you know, this is all in, you know, in, in my brain and um, I'm, this is Chicago and I am petrified and I hear them say, you know, get the fuck out of the car. And I'm like, and I, and I say, listen to him, just do what they say, just do what they say. So he's, he's saying, what did I do? What did we do? And I hear the driver saying, because there's somebody on the other side, you know, what do we do? We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. He said, you know, shut up and get out of the car, like as if they were some criminals. And I said, do and I'm, and I'm coaching him. And I'm saying, just listen, you know. And so he gets out and, um, and, uh, they're, they're saying, what did I do? What did I do? And they're just saying, you know, shut up. And, and then he said, and, and turn that phone off. And I said, you don't have to turn the phone off. And then the guy, you know, really rough. He says, give me that phone. And he gives the, gives him the phone and he sees this face on the FaceTime. Yeah. And all of a sudden his tone changes. Yeah. Yeah. The tone just changes like that. And um, he says, well, just put it in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, put it in your pocket. And then, um, oh, I, I left out a part. They were trying to, the, the reason why he said, you know, he took the phone is because he was cuffing him, cuffing yeah. him. Yeah. Right. And so he said, you know, give me the phone and, and went because he wanted to cuff him. And then he so he put it in his pocket. Then the sound was a little bit muffled. And um, and, you know, because I'm 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 like Pablo's dog. I'm like, OK, the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to hear a gunshot. I just know it. I mean, I feel like because yeah. it was yeah. so intense. And then about a few minutes later, he gets he gets in the car and um, and and he said they let us go. And I said well, what did, what did he say you did? He said, well, we were blocking a one-way street. Mm. We block, he, they were waiting to pick up their, their cousin. And it is a one-way street. They moved immediately when the you know cop was coming towards them. And he said, why did they get, get out of the car with their guns pointed at you? And they said, well, they said our, our windshield was tinted too dark. Yeah. And that was the reason why they got out with their guns pointed at the kids. And yeah. um, so I said, well, why did they let you go? And he said, 
one of the cops recognized me because he was a big basketball star in Chicago. And he said, and one of the guys said, aren't you Taekwon Greer? And he says, yes, sir, I am. And then he said, oh, let him go. Mm. But what if he wasn't Taekwon Greer? What if it wasn't my face on the phone? I know, I know. And Deborah, as I'm listening to you talk about, there's so many things running through my mind, particularly because I know that just like he said to you years ago, don't make it, can't make a big deal about it. Black people have to move in this space so differently. Like even you as a white mom saying, you don't have to turn the phone off. You don't have to do this, do this, do this, right? You know, you're saying based from that place of whiteness, really, right? And I know that we as Black people also have that empowerment too. And there are many Black parents who will say, you don't have to turn the phone off. And there, and then we also live with the understanding of if you don't turn the phone off, what could really, because guarantee you, if they saw my face, it would have been a different response, right? And, and so I, I, I so feel for you as a mother, because I know, and I know when we were talking about it earlier, you know, that the emotions that were coming up for you, because it's traumatic. It's very traumatic to not know if you're going to hear whether your son is shot or not. And so this is why we all have to be engaged in this work of dismantling racism, because we can't look at a person, we can't look at Deborah and say, oh, Deborah has it all going on and she doesn't have to deal with any issues of race, racism, but you do, you're dealing with a very intimate experience of racism. You know, Taekwon, he has two little boys. He has a five-year-old Brayden, who is the light of my life. And then he just had a, a, another baby, Taekwon Jr. Yes. And actually, all three of them were born on the same day. Oh Taekwon is March 3rd. His five-year-old is March 3rd. And the baby, actually, when the baby was born, uh, Brayden was having his birthday party at the bowling alley. And we <laughs> called and we said, honey, your baby brother is born. He goes, Tell him it's my birthday. Tell him to come to my party. Tell him it's at the bowling alley. That is so cute. That is so cute. He's so precious. But I have to tell you, you know, I don't worry every day when my white son walks out the door. But I worry about my babies. I worry about Taekwon, but I also worry about my other son, Kiwan. And I also worry, I look at those boys. And I think your life, I have to do everything. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't want to be a dramatic white woman. I really don't. I'm just sorry, you know, that I. I don't see, Deborah, I don't see it that way. What I see is a mother's pain. A right? mother's pain. Exactly. Because when I see, see when the joy when Taekwondo Jr. was born, just March 3rd. And then my mind goes to. We still are nowhere near where we have to be in terms of you know, equity and inclusion. And I've watched my other boys grow up and we have to do the work to make this world different. We have to, t- we can't take our eye off the ball. You know, I'll tell you, Gerilyn, I when um, after George Floyd, Everybody was marching in the streets and I've seen that passion die down a little bit, but we can't let it, we can't take our eye off the ball because it is just going to grow again like a cancer. 
And I have to say that you you have to continue to support causes that are working to end racism. We have to give work for organizations that give opportunity to free young people from situations where there is little or no no hope, Mm. you know, like in the neighborhoods in Chicago. We can't stop doing this work just because, um, you know, that intense time with Breonna Taylor, with Michael Brown, with, you know, Jake Blake, with George Floyd. I see people taking their eye off the ball. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. This is not the time to snooze. You know, I, and I so agree with you, which is, which is really what I was writing about in in my book so passionately is like, you can't burn out on doing, you know, uh, ending racism. It's not, racism is not a trend. It's absolutely here. But I want to just say, let me ask you, because you are very entrenched in this work. And yet, and still, there was an incident that happened with one of the young men that you are so close to. And you wondered about your decision as a white woman. So can you talk, can you share with people about what what went through your head and what the incident was? Well, I'm not exactly sure. There've been so many incidents, but I do had, had this moment where I realized I was a racist. Is that the one? Well, I want to talk about that one, but there was one in particular, and you don't have to say the name if you don't want to, you wanted to take this person. Oh, that one. I could yeah. say the name. So, cause I love him. My um, son was uh, a friend of Jake, Jacob Blake's when they were growing up. And, you know, Jake was the guy in Kenosha who was shot seven times in the back by a, a police officer for no reason because he was getting in his car, but, but it happened seven times point blank. And I'll never forget that day because my son called me, goes, ma, turn on the news, you know, Kenosha, Wisconsin. So I turn on the news and I'm watching this camera footage of this kid getting shot seven times in the back. And I call my son and I say, why did you tell me to watch that? That was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. He says, mom, that was Jake. And I, I start, you know, screaming because I loved him. He was you know, one of the kids that was over at the house, you know, little Jake Blake. Right. And then, you know, and then there was the whole the, the country erupted once again and he didn't die, although he is in a wheelchair and the bullets are still in his back. And we won't go into that story. But what I was sharing with you is after that happened, um, I wanted to just go over and hold him and hug him and bring him his favorite peanut butter cookies. But I got scared. I thought, I don't want to be the... I don't want to make a mistake. I, I is is it condescending to come over and and bring him peanut butter cookies because I remember he loved peanut butter, and I think a lot of people are afraid of making a mistake and doing the wrong thing and and coming over and looking like the savior. We're all confused about what to do, and and I love what you said to me. You said it's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to get it wrong. Don't be paralyzed because and I realized getting it wrong was all about me. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't about Jake. Jake, I wanted to bring him peanut butter cookies. I wanted to be here for, for be there for him. I wanted him to know that I loved him. Yeah. But it was about me. Oh, am I going to be judged? 
Yeah. You got to get over yourself. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I thank you for sharing that story because it does show the complexities of dismantling racism, but it also shows this, this thing about fear that often gets in, into white people's way. And I will put it that way because in my trainings, it's usually white people who will say, I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. And my response is always, you, we get plenty of things wrong in life and we have to keep moving through them. Just like you said, they're here to help us to grow and to learn. We cannot afford to just allow fear to paralyze us. So thank you for sharing that story. We do have to take a break. And in our final segment, I do want you to talk about that moment that you knew that you were a racist. When we come back from our show, we'll take a really quick break. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Deborah Poneman. Deborah. Before the break, you mentioned about the day, well, you were starting to mention about when you knew you were a racist. Talk to me about that, because for so many folks, I think that's one of the fears of white people is that people are going to say, oh, you're a racist, and that stops them from doing the work. Now, here you are, a woman who has been completely immersed in uh, raising Black children, and yet you say there was a moment you knew that you were a racist. Yes, I was at a meeting of the Transformational Leadership Council, and I'm on the diversity committee, which is working to ensure that diversity and equity and inclusion is a cornerstone of this great organization. And I always considered myself a true liberal who fought for DEI because before, as you say, the acronym was ever used. And then one day in the middle of, of a discussion, it actually hit me like a ton of bricks that I was a racist. 
because I realized that when I would, um, for example, we would have a family gathering, I would subconsciously, I didn't notice it, I would expect my black kids to come late. Mm. When I lent money, I expected my black kids not to pay me back, mm. or not to pay me back, back a time. And all of a sudden I went, I can't believe that those things are so deeply ingrained in me because of, you know, it's in the fabric of our society. The group think was in my cells. Yeah. And I was horrified because the truth is it wasn't the truth. I mean, I remember I lent my son Daniel some money to buy a car. I I lent Kiwan money to buy a car. Kiwan paid me back. Daniel still hasn't paid me back. <laughs> but it was just ingrained in me. It was the group think. But the way to get out of the group think is continually do the work. Notice your thinking. Reframe your thinking. Seek the proof that the opposite is true. Yes. And right, just seek that proof because you got to create some new neural pathways in that brain of yours because the society has, has uh, allowed us to create certain neural pathways that we have certain expectations. And you and I have talked about this. It also helps to interrupt the group think, to point out the fallacy and racist stereotypes. That's your job. If you want to do something, do that. And when there are people who want you to believe that something is true, they can just gaslight you. They can, and it's done Mm -hmm. now in the U.S., repeating a false narrative over and over and over until we doubt what we believe and we see and we accept that false narrative. That's right. That's right. We do it. And it's so easy to accept that false narrative. And then you can see us as a group going to hell in the handbasket. There's probably another way to say that, but really, really that's exactly what happens though. And it feeds into our insecurities and our fears. And when we live in a world already where we think that we don't have enough, it contributes to that scarcity mentality. That's why the work that you do around saying yes to success is that it creates this avenue for you to recognize that you don't have to worry about what anybody else has or what they don't have. What you need to do is to focus on yourself and to be able to applaud what other people have. Because again, talk about changing the neural pathways. When we're happy for other folks, it changes something within us as well. And it creates this opportunity for us to attract more. But, you know, we, we could talk about that forever. What I want to do though, because I know our time is really, really short. Deborah, Tell me about some of the projects that you are working on, because I know that internationally you have some projects and, and even here in the U.S. So tell us a little bit about those. Well, the one that I'm involved in internationally the most is uh, it's an organization um, called Aid Still Required, and we do work in Haiti. And I love the Haitian people. Just, I mean, this is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and the work that we do is in the poorest areas of the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. But those those people down there, they just, nobody wants a handout. All they want is a hand up. 
I love the spirit. And, and um, so we do work there. We have, um, uh, we teach literacy, we teach um, sewing, we, t- we have, we've opened, um, we've built actually from the ground up uh, three schools, and then we've taken over several other schools, because um, the literacy rate in Haiti is about, um, about 60 to 70% of people can't read or write at all. And we want to just like smash that statistic. But I have to say, you know, people say to me, oh, you're so wonderful. You go down to Haiti and do this work. I'm not all that wonderful. I love going to Haiti. I mean, you can go on your vacation and go on your jet ski. To me, what is more fulfilling than watching somebody in their 60s writing their name for the first time, reading a book for the first time, you know, seeing these kids in their little uniforms. And, and it is, to me, that's my idea of a good time. So that's one of the things that I do. The other is that my son started a nonprofit called the Shot in the Dark Foundation. Um, he, in what he noticed when he was a young man, when he was 15, he actually started the nonprofit, was that the, the kids in the south and west sides of Chicago who wanted to get basketball scholarships, if you were Derek Rose, then the recruiters would come and watch you. But if you weren't, you had to pay to be in a showcase. But the showcases were 150, 200, 250. The kids couldn't afford it. So my son had the idea to start a nonprofit and put on free basketball showcases, especially for the kids who are not the Derek Roses of the world, who might go to a junior college or a community college. Anyway, um, that was you know more than 10 years ago. And to date, he's generated over uh, $60 million in college scholarships for um he just had a showcase a couple weeks ago so that's the shot in the dark foundation i help him out so a few things like that so tell us the name of the organization though with haiti because i don't think you gave the name aid still required okay yes you did say and the reason why we call it aid still required is that when a tragedy happens like an earthquake or a tsunami or whatever whatever well there are no tsunamis in in haiti but um um but there are hurricanes, then the Red Cross shows up and all of these, you know, when when the cameras are rolling and there's all of the news about the earthquake. But after the um, cameras stop rolling, aid is still required. We have to help rebuild the houses. We have to educate. We have to. So that's what our organization does. Well, Deborah, I thank you for sharing that. And I also thank you for for the statement of when your friends are applauding you for going to Haiti, because the other thing is you're not doing this for applause. You're doing it because it speaks to your soul and who you are. And, you know, I think that that's, that's important for all of us to know that when we're reaching out to other folks it's because we have a shared humanity and we should all be helping each other out and finding our way of doing that. So I thank you so much for pointing that out. And I do want to just thank you for being a guest on the show today. Uh, Our time is almost up and I just wanted uh, two quick things. One, if you could tell people how to get in touch with you. And then if you had any uh, final words that you wanted to leave us with, or maybe some words of inspiration. Yeah, well, to get in touch with me, the name of my company is Yes to Success, Y-E-S-T-O, Success. 
com, And that's where you'll see the information on the programs that I teach. So thank you so much for asking about that. And um, I don't know if it's so much words of inspiration. Well, I guess it is. It's what you taught me. Don't worry. Get over yourself. Don't worry so much about getting it right. We don't have time to be careful right now. Don't, I mean, I say check your motive. Is it to, you know, glorify yourself? I don't care if it's to glorify yourself. Go out and do the work. You know, in one interruption at a time, if you you don't have to start a nonprofit, you don't have to go to Haiti. But when you see somebody making a, a racist remark, you say, you know, actually, that hit me wrong. Did you hear what you just said? If you see somebody who we talked about this yesterday, if you're at a restaurant and the white person gets the table before the black person, you say, excuse me, but um, I think that these people were here first. Every little chance that you get to interrupt racism, you know, how do you build a building brick by brick? Or how do we dismantle the building of racism brick by brick? And it's all of us. And just be courageous. Don't worry about recognition. Don't worry about getting it right. Um, Just if you get it wrong, you could go back and say, I'm sorry, I screwed up. That's okay, but it's the quality of your heart and the purity of your intention that's going to carry you through. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for being my guest today. And thank you to my listeners today. I want to invite you to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. 